Father, uh, thank you for the promise of heaven and, and to know that whatever happens in this life, it can be well with our soul because one day we're going to be with you and, and, and even more than you are now. I mean, we know you're here with us now completely. And yet, at the same time, to see you face to face and to hear our name being called when the Lamb's Book of Life opens, that will be an amazing, amazing day. And we look forward to that and it fills us with joy as it has Christians throughout the centuries. We can't wait to join them as well. Until then, God, we want to be faithful. We want to do your work here on the earth. We want your spirit to move in us, to, to do, accomplish your plans. Father, help us. As we look at a passage this morning that, that deals with uh, money, something that some of us don't like talking about quite as much, I pray that you would give us insight into your word. Help us understand it. Help us apply it. For some of us that have uh, that grip on our heart when it comes to wealth, I pray that those things would begin to untangle and, and, and that you would get a hold of us this morning. We thank you for your word and the privilege of looking at it. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, a couple things first. Big thank you to Pastor Andrew for preaching for me last week and just keeping the series going. That was really cool. And you did an excellent job. And uh, and as a lot of you know, I was at my I was doing my grandfather's funeral uh, two weeks ago on a Thursday. And uh, Grandpa was a believer, strong believer. He spent the last two months of his life in a nursing home, and uh, he was faithful even to share his faith there. Didn't want to be there, but he was still faithful there. And I and that that's that's who he was. That's who he is. And now he's with his Savior. So um, thank you for praying. Church sent flowers down at, at the funeral service. Thank you for that. And, and thank you for the cards. Thanks for loving us. So, Speaking of grandparents, uh, when, I was, when I was a kid, uh, maybe junior high age, I started mowing my grandmother's uh, lawn. Now she had a couple acres. And I mowed it. And I remember going out there every Saturday. Fortunately, she had a riding mower. So, so I'm doing the riding mower thing. But it's, there weren't a lot of trees on her property. It's just like a huge, like a, like a field almost. You know, just grass everywhere. And I spent my Saturdays out there, five, six, seven, eight hours mowing. And, and you know, being hot. And, and, and I love my grandma. And I wanted to be out there and do that for her. And, and then you'd get done mowing, you know, the acres, and then you'd get to do the ditches with the push mower. It was self-propelled. Don't feel too bad for me. But, um, you know, you have to do the ditches down there, and it was just a full day's work. And then I remember Grandma would write me out a check and pay me a little bit. And uh, I was always, I mean, I was happy to help her. You know, I was happy to do it. And it wasn't about money. But I was in junior high, and, and, and you know, you're starting to think more about money and, and what I can get. And uh, I remember one time... I, I was mowing her yard, and I always, I'd always come in for lunch, or I'd come in for a glass of lemonade, and I'd get to talk to Grandma. And, um, and I remember one time going into her house, and, and I think she was, she was doing something in another room for a moment. And so I sat down at the table, and I saw her mail. And, and I saw this envelope, and, or maybe that something was out of the envelope, and it was this paper, and it said that she had won a million dollars. People, that's a million dollars. And I'm in seventh grade, and I know that means Grandma won a million dollars. You know, she did. 
Well, you know, we all know how these sweepstakes go. You have won, right? And they get you all excited. But, but in the moment right there, I remember, I remember seeing that letter and thinking, Grandma's rich. And she's paying me this little to mow her yard? And how quickly things turn from, I love my grandmother, to now I'm the young entrepreneur, you know? I mean, Grandma, you got the resources to give me something really good here. Uh, how quickly the love of money creeps into the young heart, and I want more. Um, I want to talk about the love of money today. If you would grab your Bibles and turn to Ecclesiastes, we're looking at the wisdom of, of Solomon here, and uh, we're going to jump in there. And also, um, you have notes. If you're visiting with us, there should be some notes in your bulletin that you can either follow along up here or follow along in your notes in there, and uh, we'll be good. So jump into Ecclesiastes chapter 5. I may come back at some point in this series to chapter 5, verses 1 through you know 7. That's an excellent passage, but I really want to focus on money this morning. And so I'm going to jump into that part. But, but, you know, if you get time this week to read that, that's excellent as well. And some good things to think about, about the humility we should have before God uh, and how we approach him. So um, standing in awe and th- those kinds of things. Let's actually start in verse 8, not verse 10. That will give us a little bit of context for what we're about to read. Uh, we've been looking at how life without God is hebel. It's hebel, which is a Hebrew word that means meaningless, vanity, no profit, no eternal value. Okay, so, so Hebel can mean different things in the context that you read it. And some translations just pick the word vanity. Some pick the word meaningless. I like using Hebel because uh, it, 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 it's a word you ought to look at in context to see what it means. Now, uh, Solomon wants to turn his attention to wealth. Here he goes in verse 8. If you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things, for one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields. Now, to set up what he's about to say about money, he says, I know some of you are looking and you don't have a lot of money, and you see these high officials who are rich because they're taking advantage of the poor, and there's higher officials above them and higher officials above them, and finally you've got the king at the top, and they all seem to be getting rich while the poor are getting poorer. And it's an injustice. And so I believe what Solomon is writing next is, if you find yourself feeling poor, feeling not very wealthy, and you begin to look at those above you and how they're getting rich and the things that they're doing to get rich, it can provoke jealousy. It can provoke greed in your own self, in your own heart. Like, I want what they've got. Why do they deserve that? Here is Solomon's advice when you feel like it's unjust what what you're making compared to other people. Check out verses 10 and following. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is hebel. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? 
The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when he has a son, there is nothing left for him. Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. This too is a grievous evil. As a man comes, so he departs, and what does he gain since he toils for the wind? All his days he eats in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. We'll pause. What are some of the attitudes we should have regarding money that would help us when we're tempted to look at the rich and the wealthy and say, I want what they've got. Why is it fair that they're making a lot of money? What have they done that's so important? What attitude should we cultivate in the heart? What things should we be willing to say and mean it when it comes to money? The first two we've already seen right here, and let's talk about them briefly, and then we'll look at the second two. Uh, Number one in your notes, I will never find contentment in wealth. I'll never find contentment in wealth, Solomon says. If you love money in verse 10, you're never going to have enough. You're never going to be satisfied. It's hevel. So you're never going to get to the point in your life where you say, I mean, if your heart is in love with money, you will never get to the point in your life where you are able to say, I've got enough now. I can stop. It's, it's all good. You're always going to be looking at who's got more, what they're driving, what they're living in, what they're wearing, the size of their paycheck. You will always be looking like that and you will never be content. In fact, It says, as goods increase, verse 11, so do those who consume them. I think that's just implying that, uh, you know, people that are rich have kids and they're consuming them and their relatives are consuming it and, and they're just getting richer and richer and richer. And then it says in verse 12, the sleep of the laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much. This person that's working hard is getting enough to live and they're able to sleep at night, whereas the rich person has an abundance in verse 12. And he's not sleeping. He's anxious. How's his money doing? How's the investments going? Will it be there tomorrow? Has he saved up enough for a good retirement? All of these thoughts. And yes, I know we all kind of think about retirement, but but when you love money, you're really concerned about these things. And they they make you anxious. Whereas the person that has just enough and doesn't let their heart love money, sleeps well. So, you'll never be content with wealth, no matter how much you have. There'll always be someone who has more, so you might as well stop and not try to find contentment from your, money, from your wealth. You might as well stop loving money. Now, secondly, in verses 13 through 17, um, he says, I've seen this grievous evil, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when he has a son, there's nothing left for him. Solomon's saying, saying, I've seen people who have a lot of money, and they're investing it, they're using it, and then they lose it. Some of them lose it all, and they have nothing to give their kids. And he says, that is a grievous evil. So you might as well not love money when money can leave you that easily, right? 
If you love something that's going to maybe depart from you, they can hurt you, you put your love in the wrong thing. You ever seen a boxer climb into the ring and he's making lots of money? And he, he doesn't climb into the ring alone. He's got buddies around him. He's got managers, people. He's got supporters out there yelling for him. You know, uh, What happens when you get rich and people befriend you because you're rich? And then when the riches are gone, the people leave you. How many celebrities, how many athletes have found that out the hard way? How much better to have just what you need and have friends that love you for who you are. So, so you see, what Solomon is saying is, you can be rich and it will get you in all sorts of trouble. Wealth can hurt you. Now, that's not a statement like, so don't ever get rich. You know, whatever you do, don't have money. He's not saying that. He's just saying, when you love money and then you see how it hurts you, it'll hurt you even more deeply. Because the person that loses money that doesn't love it is like, well, that didn't go well, <laughs> you know. Um, I lost my house and I didn't have insurance. What am I going to do? Well, you might say, well, that was foolish. You should have had insurance on it. But if that person doesn't love money, the loss might not sting as much as the wealthy person that goes from riches to rags. Wealth can hurt you. Think about the people that have a lot of money. And, and what do they do with it? What do they do with their time? They put their hope in money. They find out money doesn't satisfy. So how about I use my money for illegal drugs? You know? i got to do something that makes me happy. What wealth opens some doors that are very dark. And, and that, that doesn't mean we shouldn't have money. It's just saying, you better not love it because it could lead you down some dark places. Now, I want to skip over Solomon's solution uh, in verses 18 through 20. I want, to, I want to conclude with that. I want to pick up in, in chapter 6, verse 1, though, right now, okay? If you look at chapter 6, verse 1. I've seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on men. God gives a man wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing his heart desires, but God does not enable him to enjoy them, and a stranger enjoys them instead. This is a meaningless, grievous evil. What he's talking about there is this, this idea that God may provide a lot for you. And we know people who have a lot. And they need nothing in when it comes to material possessions. But the brilliant thing Solomon's writing here is that God gives you the ability to enjoy your own wealth. And so you can have it all, and if God doesn't enable you to enjoy it, what good is it then? You're not enjoying your own stuff. And, and so, um, I, the, the New King James translation, I was reading that last night as I was meditating on this, and it says, uh, when it says in verse 2, God gives a man wealth, possessions, and honors that he lacks nothing his heart desires, but God does not enable him to eat them. Eat is the word there. And a stranger eats them instead. And I thought, that's interesting. Eating. Eating. I have a feast in front of me. I have everything my heart desires. But I can't, it doesn't actually nourish me. I can't actually eat it. And instead it nourishes somebody else. Like, that's interesting. Only God can enable you to enjoy what you have. 
It ought to be a profound thought for some of us who think that if I have that, I will be happy. God says, no, I'm the one that actually enables you to enjoy that thing. Okay? Now, lastly, let's see. Let's do verse 3. A man may have a hundred children and live many years, yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not receive a proper burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. It comes without meaning. It departs in darkness, and in darkness its name is shrouded. Though it never saw the sun or knew anything, it has more rest than does the ma- that man. Even if he lives a thousand years twice over. Wasn't Methuselah the oldest guy in the Bible? A little trivia there, right? 960, I think, years? Um, close to that, at least. If you live a thousand years twice over, verse 6, but fail to enjoy his prosperity, do not all go to the same place. All man's efforts are for his mouth, yet his appetite is never satisfied. What advantage has a wise man over a fool? What does a poor man gain by knowing how to conduct himself before others? Better what the eyes sees than the roving of the appetite. This too is meaningless. Hebel, a chasing after the wind. He's talking about appetite here. And he's saying, whatever you think your appetite wants and needs in this life, that those material things that you see and that you want, those things will never, ever satisfy you. That's number four. Uh, number four in the notes. I will experience unrest in my soul because of my appetites. I will not sleep well at night. Those things will consume my thinking. The stuff that I want. You know, it's kind of like... Uh, I grew up watching uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Did you watch the original one? Original one, yes, yes. New one with uh, that, the new one that they made, yes. Okay, is that Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? I don't know. I forget which how the titles go. But in any case, you know, you've got a a group of selfish kids who get a tour of an amazing chocolate factory, right? And their appetites are just taking over. I mean, that's what the movie is partially about. Watching, you know, you see this waterfall of chocolate and some kid jumps right in to, to drink the chocolate and gets sucked up in this tube, you know. His appetite takes over. And then you've got this spoiled little girl, right, who wants to eat the, the candy and she blows up into a blueberry or something and, and, and they got a juicer, right? they got to squeeze the juice out of her. So I, sounds painful, right? You don't even get to see that happen, I, I don't think at least. Uh, but not appropriate for a kid's movie. And so, and you watch this and you're just waiting for the next kid You're waiting for the next kid to let his appetite take over. And I think that's what Solomon is saying here. When your love of wealth, when your appetite takes over, it will lead you down many dark and terrible paths. What's the solution? Verse 18. Right in the middle of of this writing about money, Solomon goes for it and he says this. When, when you don't have a lot and you're looking at those who have more than you, remember this. Then I realize that it's good and proper for a man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given him. For this is his lot. Lot meaning this is what God has given to him. Moreover, when, a, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift of God. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. 
we all go through hard times, but, but God can enable you to enjoy what he has given. Solomon's conclusion, I think, for all of us is this. I will enjoy what God has provided me. I'll enjoy what he's given. That puts the emphasis on God as the giver. Lest we say, because I'm so smart, I deserve this large paycheck. Who gave you your mind? And lest you say, I'm able to do these things with my hands. I deserve this. Are there not people who don't have what you have? The intelligence, the sight, the health, the ability. And God's given that to you. He has provided for you. And whether you have a lot or a little, if we look around and say, Yes, I agree with Apostle Paul. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Or as the psalmist says, if you could bring that verse up, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Aren't there benefits to knowing God has given us all that we have and we can enjoy it? We can say, God, I don't need what everybody else has. I've got what you've given me and I'm praising you. In that. Now, Solomon still leaves us, I think, with a, uh, I'd say, an interesting question that I'd like to put out there. If, if God, let me put it this way, if God says, and, and we're reading this now, that I won't be happy with money, okay, okay, don't love money, people. It won't bring you contentment, it'll bring you anxiety. Don't do it. And then over here you've got enjoy what God has provided. Enjoy your wealth. How does enjoy your wealth that God has given you square with you won't enjoy your wealth if you love it? You know what I mean? So it has to be. It has to be that it all goes back to God himself that we are supposed to enjoy the most. If I get God right, you know, if I love him most, then I can enjoy what he gives me from the proper perspective, okay? So I would say we have to have a however here. Solomon's writing to people that are looking at the wealthy and saying, I want what they've got. Why are they wealthy? They're unjust. And the answer is just enjoy what God has given you. And the emphasis is on God, the giver. I will enjoy God first and foremost. Put up the first psalm there. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight is not a suggestion. It's a command. You are commanded not to love money. You are actually commanded to delight in the Lord. Are you doing that? Does God bring you joy and delight? when you think about him, when you study him in the word, when you see his hand in your life, do you delight in him? Because if you don't, I don't see how you're going to be able to enjoy what he's given you if you can't enjoy the giver first and foremost. Next verse. Psalm 16. You have made known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Now, one day, that verse, will be, uh, that verse will be very, very, very real, and that we'll be in heaven, and we're gonna, he's going to fill us with a lot of joy. 
Sometimes in this life, you have to pray for joy, fight for joy, study for joy. Look at who God is, His person. Look at what Jesus has done for you. Because if you don't spend time with Him, you start looking at stuff that never satisfies. Next verse. Uh, Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Is that where your heart is? Can you say that? That I'm panting for God. And then I think Jesus' words are next here. John 7:37. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Wh- uh, if it, uh, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up until that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not been glorified. Streams of living water. I think we think sometimes of Jesus as the trickle of water, you know, and, and, and he kind of satisfies us when we need him, when we're at the, when we're at the bottom. But he's like, do, do you desire me that much? Do you want me? Are you that thirsty for me? Or would you say your life is characterized by a thirst for material things? Can you really desire wealth after you've drank deeply from Jesus? Can you really? Because I read this verse and I'm like, if, if I have rivers and streams of water gushing out of me, that sounds like it would quench every thirst I have. That's Jesus. That's the spirit that he gives you. So, I read the story once of, um, there, was like a, there was like a short French film. I don't know the name of it, but it's just a French film. And, and, and it was a story told of a man who wanders into a little village, and the village is empty. And he's looking in houses, and they're empty. And yet, food is on the table. Smoke's coming out of the chimney. He's like, what's going on? Stores are empty. So, so he begins to go into these houses and eat and drink, try on clothes, take stuff. All the while, a ways off, there's all of the town, the whole village has gathered on this nearby hillside, and they had fled the town because there was a bomb in the middle of the town that was about to explode. Okay? And they're all yelling at the man to leave the village. You've got to get out. You've got to get out. It's going to explode. And the guy's eating and drinking and enjoying himself. Where's everybody at? And finally, the townspeople are overcome with greed. They've forgotten everything but greed. They, they see this man putting on their clothes, eating their food, going into their bank and tossing around their money, right? They see this and they all rush in and beat the guy up and, and, and throw him out of the town. And the bomb goes off. And only that man who wandered in escaped with his life. Now, French film, you know, uh, but, but illustrates the story, the, the heart issue of greed. It's, it's a parable about greed. It will destroy me. Jesus will make streams of living water flow out of me. How do you begin in the last three or four minutes we have here, how do you begin to break your love for money? If you look at your own life and say, man, I've got a problem, how do you deal with that? 
three things on the back of your notes. I'll go through them just briefly. Number one, you ought to pray. You ought to ask God to give you an undivided heart, like the psalmist says. You ought to pray that he would transform you. You ought to repent of your sin. You ought to have a long conversation with God. That's where you ought to start. And say, I am turning my back on this love of money. I will not serve it anymore. I will serve the living God. Secondly, you ought to start to transform your mind. You ought to start to renew yourself. Because probably for years and years, you've been thinking this way. You've been thinking, money will make me happy. Maybe you learned it from your parents. Maybe you learned it the day that grandma didn't pay you enough for mowing her yard. (laughs) But whatever it is, there were seeds in your heart that are planted and that have grown into this ugly, ugly plant, this weed. And you've got to get rid of that. And how are you going to do it unless you start transforming your mind and reading the Bible? That's Romans 12, by the way. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? That's just Romans 12. I would say begin to memorize verses on money and on delighting in God. I would say you begin to read about the dangers of greed. Harder for a rich man, a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. But Jesus must not have known what he was talking about when he said that, right? Hard. It's hard. Not impossible, but pretty hard. You read uh, in, in one of the Timothy books where... Paul's writing and and saying not to put your hope in money. If you memorize verses, those thoughts will dominate the thoughts you've grown up thinking. Okay, number three, and lastly, here's the one you're going to love me to say. You've got to give it away. You've got to give it away. You've got to take action. I have found I've been jealous of people in my life. And the old, I mean, I can pray about it. I talk to God about it. But one of the things that really breaks jealousy is when I go up and give that person a compliment. And I'm not just giving that as pastoral advice. Jesus told the rich young man to sell everything he had and then come follow me. Riches were that man's God. He walked away sad because he didn't want to get rid of his stuff. Whether Jesus is saying, do you give it all away or give it some of it away, I'm probably saying give some of it away. And, because I know God wants you to provide for your family. He wants you to keep making money so you can keep doing kingdom things with your money. So give it away so that you lay up treasure in heaven. This is not throw money out the window. It doesn't mean give it away foolishly. It's how can I use my wealth to lay up eternal treasure in heaven. We're not supposed to be like the man who built bigger barns because he had so much. When you start to give money away to your local church, when you start to give it away to local missions, foreign missions, people that are poor and in need, local causes that you know are helping people, charitable causes, when you start to do those things, you start to break greed in your own heart. And I think that's where you want to end up. 
And I don't think you end up there without giving it away. Because the opposite of giving it away is keeping it for yourself. And that's kind of the problem to begin with. My prayer for you and for me, for us as a church, is that we'd so treasure Jesus and the joy that he gives that we'd have, we get that picture of streams of living water. Next time you're tempted to love money, next time you have greedy thoughts, would you consider Jesus offering you streams of living water? The Holy Spirit who wants to change your thinking. I'm going to pray in a moment. When I'm done praying, we will be dismissed. Uh, We're going to head out to Honey Rock. Uh, One direction I'm going to give you on that is, um, last year we were outside for the service. This year, we are uh, under the tent. So as you pull into Honey Rock, you're going to pull all the way through, and there's like the dining hall on the right. On the left in the field, there's going to be a tent. That's where we're meeting for worship today if you're coming out with us. There's a lunch to follow. So, can I invite you to stand up now, and I want to pray for you and for myself. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would protect us from the love of money. Protect us from greed. We like to kind of gloss over that sin because it feels a little bit American to do well and and to have this stuff. Somehow we've confused that thing. And we've tried to cover our greed. Lord, I pray for those that have plenty and that love what they have. I pray you begin to break that idol in their hearts. That they would have this image of this living water flowing from you and that they would thirst for that. Father, I pray for those who don't have a lot but are tempted to jealousy. Father, I pray that you'd help them, as Solomon says, be content with what you have given and to rejoice that you are the provider and all that they have is from your hand. Father, I pray that we continue to be a giving church, a church that supports missions well, a church that helps the poor as in just a couple weeks, we're going to take an offering for the food pantry. Keep your purposes for money strong in our hearts. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us living water. In your name we pray. Amen.